Well, I want you to know, partway through the service, actually, that we've been praying for you. We've been praying for everybody that would wind up and worship with us tonight. And whether you ended up here because your flight was canceled because of storms in Chicago or wherever you're trying to get to, one of the things that we hold to be true is that there really are no accidents in God's sovereign will. And if you are here this evening, it's because God intends for you to be in a house of worship. He wants you to hear his good news. He wants you to be with other people of faith. He wants you to share together in this joyful celebration that we call Christmas. Amen, friends? Amen. So just know that uh, you've been prayed for, you've been prayed over, and we believe that this is the uh, fruition of all of God's work bringing us here together. God has been doing a big work in bringing us here together. And the promise, of course, that we remind ourselves of, that we celebrate each Advent season that leads us up into our celebration of Christmas, is that God is truly with us. And if you're familiar with a story, these should ring very familiar and true. If you're not as familiar with a story, I pray that you'll uh, work to stick with me. But the stories that bring us up to this show us how God has been working through the circumstances of life. An old priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they prayed a lifetime for a child, and it never came to be. And just about the time they thought it was a foregone dream, God called him up the chosen priest to go into the Holy of Holies. And there he encountered God and God told him that he had heard his prayers and his prayers are going to be answered and they're going to be given the blessing of a child. That child wouldn't be Jesus. That child would be the one we know as John, the baptizer who would help prepare the way for Jesus. But then that set the stage for an angel to appear to Elizabeth, I'm sorry, to Mary. And the angel told Mary that God's favor was upon her and that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that she would conceive and give birth to the one who would be our savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we know that when Mary and Elizabeth got together, that actually the, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy and celebration and worship when simply coming into the presence of Jesus Christ. And by faith, we believe that all of these things can still come to pass, that God is in this place and he is hearing our prayers and he is answering our prayers. We believe that by the power of God at work that the Holy Spirit can come into each and every one of our lives and can birth new life, eternal life. We believe that when people come together that the Spirit then shows up and somehow something wells up and, and we too can literally leap for joy and worship and celebrate God at work with each and every one of us. These are the promises that we've been leaning into this Advent season. So if you would, uh, just pause one more time with me and join your hearts and your minds in a prayer to set the stage for the reading of the Christmas story. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Advent, for the arrival of the promised one, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us on that evening some 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. Heavenly Father, we are now praying for this Advent, this arrival of your Holy Spirit into this place. Make this a holy of holies and touch each and every man, woman, and child gathered here in worship 
this evening. And we even want to pray, Father, for the future advent, the future arrival. We are looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise that you will come again. As you came once as a baby born in Bethlehem, you will come again in glory to establish justice, to reign forever, to wipe away all sin and evil and sadness in the face of creation, and that we will dwell forever in your eternal kingdom. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Be with us in this space of worship. As we pray in your name, amen. Friends, just so you can say that you actually heard it, we're gonna read the whole Christmas story. And I'm talking the traditional one, the Gospel of Luke, chapter two, verses one, all the way through 20. You ready for it, friends? All right, we're gonna do it. I was gonna do it anyway, no matter what you said. So. Yeah, kind of. I got a script I got to follow here. So here we go. The Christmas story as you know it. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of our Lord. On September 23rd, 1972, a child was born. That, that was me. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what the history books will say about me two uh, millennium from now. <clears throat> On September 23rd, 63 BC, another child was born, and his name was Gaius Octavius. Gaius Octavius was the great nephew, maternal side actually, to Julius Caesar. 
Julius Caesar, seeing no heir fit from his own bloodline, his direct bloodline, I should say, declared just before his assassination, actually, that his rightful heir would be Octavius. Octavius took the throne, and by 27 BC, he had become almost sole emperor of all of the then Roman Empire. By 27 BC, seeing that there were no really substantial threats left to his rule any longer, he changed his name to Emperor Caesar Divi Filius Augustus, or as you just heard in the Christmas story, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was brilliant and he was equally brutal. He established what might ironically be said was the peace of Rome. It was a peace that came with great bloodshed, but the peace that he did establish lasted nearly two centuries. During the course of that time, he knew he would need to control the military power of the, of, of the nation. He would need to control the economics of the nation. He would need to take control of the legislation of the nation. But he had an insight that served him very well. He knew that he also needed to capture the hearts and the minds of the people. And so, serendipitously, shortly after his uncle's death, Halley's Comet was actually passing over the world at that time. Seizing that opportunity, he declared, this is a sign from the heavens that my great maternal uncle Julius Caesar has now ascended to the pantheon of the gods. It is now a god himself. And for anybody who had ears to hear, understood the message clearly, that if his uncle was divine and chose him as the rightful heir, he was the son of the divine. Caesar decided that he would hearken back to the good old days of Rome, which itself was kind of ironic because the best times were laying ahead. But he, were call it, he was calling the nation back to the good old-fashioned Roman values. So he reestablished worship in more than 82 temples throughout the Roman Empire. And about that time, he decided to give himself another title. And the title that he gave himself this time was Pontifex Maximus, the chief priest. He declared himself to be the chief priest of Rome because he knew he needed to control the religious affections of all of the people. By 14 AD, he knew his days were drawing to an end, and so he prepared the way for an announcements to go out. And when he passed away, evangelists were sent out and the evangelists were to carry good news to all the people of Rome. And the good news wasn't, of course, that he had passed away. The good news, of course, was that Caesar Augustus had finally, like his uncle before him, ascended to the pantheon of the gods, had become a god himself. It's a pretty good story, right? Well, about that time, another story was starting to circulate amongst the people. But this story wasn't coming from a decree, from a throne, from an emperor in Rome. This story was beginning to circulate in the hill country of Judea and coming out of little towns like Bethlehem. This story was being circulated by people like lowly shepherds. And this story 
in fact, was actually quite the opposite of the story of Caesar Augustus. This story, instead of saying that a man, finally a man, finally a flesh and blood human being like us had done what we all might want to do if we were honest about what we all might want to do to become divine ourselves. No, this story is quite the opposite. It said that because no human being has ever been able to ascend the divine, the divine chose to descend to us. The divine decided to humble himself and take on flesh and blood and be born of a virgin named Mary, betrothed to a man named Joseph in a humble town called Bethlehem in the fulfillment of a prophecy that was given centuries before. And make no mistake about it, friends, this story, this story was revolutionary. This story cut against the grain. This story was very subversive. It was subversive to the establishment and to the powers that be in every possible way. When we even look at how the announcement went out, it first went out to who? What did the story say? To the shepherds, keeping watch of their flocks at night. Now we in the church, we love shepherds, right? We've fully gone all in on shepherds. We love to have little nativity plays. And if we had one, the kids would have been fighting over who gets to hold the shepherd's staff because, well, kids like to run around with sticks. So we love shepherds. We embrace Psalm 23 and understand God our Father to be the heavenly shepherd. We love that Jesus embraced this understanding of his role and his mission to be the good shepherd, that we would be his sheep that he would even lay down his life for his sheep. We love the good shepherd motif, but that's not how it was for shepherds back in the day. Nobody really aspired to be a shepherd back in the day. You, you were born into it and it was a living, but it was a living that cost you a lot socially because you really did literally live outside of the community. You lived out in the fields. You spent most of your year watching over those flocks day and night. And whenever you're watching over flocks, when you're following them around, you get unclean. So perhaps the greatest or saddest irony for the life of the shepherds was this, though they raised the sheep, Though they took the sheep to the city of Jerusalem only a few miles down the road from Bethlehem, though they took those sheep up to the temple, though the priest came out to pick the finest, the most perfect sheep, the baby lamb without any defect, who'd become the atoning sacrifice for the people on their day of atonement, the shepherds were never allowed in. They could never even get past that outer gate because they were unclean. And the story then that was being told was that this good news wasn't coming from the throne down to the masses, but from the bottom and working its way up. Because if the good news could come to shepherds, then truly the good news is available for all people. And that's what the angel declared to the shepherds. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to who? To all people. You see, if the good news can come to shepherds, the good news can work its way up. 
because God was flipping the script. He was turning the kingdom upside down. He was interjecting this subversive message that would begin to change the world. The message not that we could achieve divinity, but divinity was achieving the humility of humanity. That divinity was lowering itself and coming to us so that divinity could be with us and be one of us. Because friends, what was impossible for us to reach our way to heaven was possible for our God in heaven to come and reach down towards us. It's always easier to come down. What's easier, biking up the mountain or coming down the mountain? <laughs> biking up, all right, we're gonna go riding someday, Josh. <laughs> because it is always easier to come down. God was, I shouldn't say easy though, but God was able to do what we were not able to do to come down and to take on the humiliation of our humanity. Because this means that God is able to be with us now and evermore. And what this reveals for us is that it has been God's desire to finally and forever to be with us, to be with us from the crib, through school, through university, through life on the campus, through buying our first home, through our first job, through our retirement, all the way to the grave. That God's desire is to be with us and to be with all people in every age and stage of life. That God will be with us whenever we're on the mountaintop and God will be with us when we're in the valley low. That God will be with us whenever we find a job and that God will be with us when we're losing our job that God will be with us whenever we're losing our health and God will even be there with us whenever we're losing our mind. That God will be there with us whenever we feel like these things that we talk about even during this Advent, this Christmas season are escaping for us, from us. Whenever we're losing our faith, whenever we're losing our hope, whenever we're losing our peace, whenever we're losing our sense of love, God is still there with us at each and every step and stage of the way. God's desire, God's heart, this great work of God is to be with us. And when I say with us, I don't just mean with us as in with us and in proximity to us, amongst us. No, by taking on humanity, by humbling himself to become flesh and blood, he becomes with us in all of our humanity. He is with us in our struggles and he's with us in our successes. He's with us in our temptations and he's with us throughout all times of our life. He is standing in solidarity with the experience of all of humanity because his heart's desire has always been to be with us. Our God did what we couldn't do because we couldn't go up to be with him. He came down to be with us. Our God did not just uh, you know, come to be you know, with some people. He came to be with all people. So the message started from the bottom to work its way up from the shepherds on through the masses to all the ends of the earth now. And this reveals what is most remarkable of all of the Christmas story. What is the most remarkable of all, and let's not miss this point, is this reveals that God's heart has always been to be with we, his people, and to have a family, and to call his family, this thing that we call the church, this very body of Christ, that God's desire has always been to be with us because being with is the best, right? 
being with that really is the best. I became an empty nester this past fall. It still seems unbelievable to me. So whenever my kids ask me what I wanted for Christmas, I said, I just want to be with you. <laughs> I just want you to get home. And so Justin got home from his first semester at college the other week, and it was like the first Christmas present of the season coming to me. And Karis wondered what she could get us for Christmas. She just landed on a plane this morning from Maui. And my heart soared because I got to be with my daughter for Christmas. And you know, leading up to the season, Robin will ask me at some point, what do you want for Christmas? And I'll be like most husbands and I'll try to say something playful and coy and whatever, you know, and, and then I'll say boots or something like that, you know, but the truth is I just want with, I just want with, I want her to be with me. I wanna be close to her. I wanna be close with my kids. I want to be with because that's all we ever really want I mean, I'm as materialistic as the next person. If you want to get me a new bike, I'll tell you the make and the model. If you want to get me new skis, we'll go to the shop if they're still open now. I mean, I can be as materialistic as anybody. But what I know, what I long for, what I want more than anything else is to be with the ones I love the most and the ones that love me the most. And that is the message of Christmas, that what God wanted more than anything else was to be with. And so he came to be with us. That is the miracle. That is the wonder. That is the joy. That is the hope. That is the faith that we have in this love of God, this love of God that wants to be with us now and forever. Amen, friends? With is the best. With is the best. Well, God comes to be with his people. And it's really remarkable, of course, that in this moment, what we understand, and to put it theologically, what we understand is the great God of glory was humbling himself, humiliating himself, so to speak, by taking on humanity, because it would be rather humbling and humiliating for infinite power to take on the limitations of the flesh. And this is the beginning of the season that we call the humiliation of God, this humiliation of becoming one with us, this humiliation of doing ministry among us, this humiliation that would lead to the ultimate humiliation of death on a cross, and of course, we know that is all setting the stage for the exaltation, the resurrection, the rising, the reign, and the return of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, amen, for this glory, this mystery, this salvation plan revealed to us. But you have to love that in the midst, in the moment of this great humiliation of God, it's like the heavens have to just have this one moment of exaltation and glory. This one brief fleeting moment, oh, to have been there and to witness it. Oh, the great glory of God is in his humiliation to become with us. And so the heavens break forth, an angel declares the good news to the shepherds, and then a whole heavenly host is witnessed as they declare peace on earth on whom his favor rests. Because the heavens knew the glory of God was to be with the people that he loved. says then that the shepherds were so enthralled by this heavenly host and this news that they heard that they ran off and they, they witnessed for themselves all that had been revealed to them. They met Mary, they met Joseph, and they met the Christ child. And that says that they went there and they, they shared this good news. 
And it says that Mary pondered those things in her heart. Of course, the preacher can say a few things on that, but I'll just simply say it lies on us to perhaps consider our sharing this good news with all that we might encounter as we ponder these mysteries that have been revealed to us. Which is, I invite the band to get ready to bring, uh, bring us into a little bit more time of worship. I just want us to step back into the beginning of that story and to reflect upon this for just a moment, if you would. If God could orchestrate the events of the Roman Empire to bring this maternal nephew of Gaius Octavius into the sphere of his uncle Julius Caesar, if, if, if he would declare him to be the rightful heir just before his death, if he would have this rise to power, if we can imagine his, uh, you know, his, his Senate advising him he should take a census of the land so we just know how much we control and if we're getting all of our tax dollars coming in. And, and if he could send out this census and that census would set into motion this journey that Mary and Joseph in no way wanted to take that would bring them to the town of Bethlehem where where Joseph would reestablish and confirm his roots in the lineage of David. If, if, if God could work all of that together to bring to fulfillment his plan to bring forth a savior. What did God do to bring you to this moment in your life? And I don't know what all this moment in your life entails. I don't know if this moment in your life is the culmination of years of work and effort that has brought you to exactly the place that you want to be. You have the marriage that you want, you have the home that you want, you have the job that you've been wanting, you have the car that you've been wanting. It's all just lined up and fallen into place. Maybe God has brought you to that moment in your life, or maybe God is bringing you into a very different moment. The moments where it seems like everything is falling apart, things aren't working out, and things aren't going as you planned at all. I hope that maybe in that and in that place, you'll understand that God is still bringing all things together according to his plan. Because we have this promise in the Bible. It's a promise that's not a part of the Christmas story, but it's a promise that a lot of Christians love and lean into. It's a promise that we should all love and lean into a lot. It's that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Like I said at the beginning, I really do believe that it is part of God's purpose to have you here tonight to hear this Christmas story and to worship this child born in that manger and to realize that God is now with us. And God with us, of course, means God with you. And God with you in whatever circumstances and situations, whatever fulfilled plans, whatever failed plans have brought you to this moment in your life that in this moment of your life that God is still with you. We're going to do exactly as you are hoping we are going to do right now. <laughs> in order to drive this point home, it's become the tradition for so many of us in this Christmas season. We're going to bring down the lights. We're going to light those little candles that we have now. And we're going to sing of the miracle that burst forth on this silent night on this holy night that the hopes and dreams of all of us if we're really honest with all of our hopes and dreams has come to fruition and 
that baby born to Mary and Joseph, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel. He's with us. Let me say a prayer, friends, and we're going to worship him. Heavenly Father, I again thank you so much for bringing us all together to this place and bringing all things to fulfillment of your promise that you've sent to us your Son. You've taken on our humanity. You've given us the invitation to be with us now and forevermore. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can be with us even in this moment. And that we await the fulfillment of the promise to be with you forever in your return. May we, may we be reminded the glories of this mystery revealed to us. And now join with heavenly host, singing hallelujah and glory to you on this holy night. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Oh. 